Thanks for joining us at Truth Matters Church. In our final review study, today we recap and refine some of our key learnings from our examination of the four horsemen and the opening of the first seal. We see that Scripture has even more to reveal as we circle back on this topic before picking up our expository study in Revelation. Find all of our studies online at truthmatterschurch.org. Here is Pastor Alex. I do have some opening comments before we begin our review study for today. I want to let us know that I recognize it took us very long to get here, to Revelation chapter 6. Because when I committed to teaching Revelation, I knew this was going to be an uphill battle and the biggest challenge that I've set for myself. As we know, there's a plethora of teachings, doctrines, interpretations, even guesses out there. And you might ask, and I might ask, well, how can we be sure of what, if what we're learning is true? How can we be sure that we're on the right path? And the short answer is, it's by teaching and supporting everything with Scripture. If you look back on this journey, I've made it a habit and a practice to not just tell you what the Scripture says, but to show you what the Scripture says. For example, in our great Olivet Discourse study and coming up with the different epics, even at the very end, I gave us a legend indexing the three parallel accounts and showing you how I arrived to where we arrived. I'm showing you how we arrived at a certain truth. I'm not just passing on information from another teacher. We're going through this together and using the scripture as our guide. And now that we've learned how to view prophecies in its historical context, we're going to do the same thing for Revelation. Remember, Revelation is the prophecy. All of Revelation is prophecy. I mean, we can say all of scripture is prophecy, but also some of it is just historical. And if there's a narrative reporting on some things, so that's not necessarily prophecy, it's reporting to some extent. But there's prophecies from Genesis to Revelation, and then Revelation takes us to the very end, not even the end of this time, but to the new heavens and a new earth. Because when we view Revelation and keep it in its historical context, here's what we're going to find. You know the book of Revelation? isn't only relevant to certain believers. The book of Revelation is relevant to all believers. Here's where I'm getting at with this. I had some preconceived notions that the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls is somehow reserved for the last seven years of history. What do you do about the 2,000 years in between? Are we saying that for those who are, who are in the faith and were even martyred and killed, for their faith in Christ, that somehow this book of Revelation doesn't apply to you? Because, hey, it's this, this, this applies to the last seven years of history. No. The book of Revelation is relevant to the churches from its inception, to those seven churches, to all believers to the very end. So that includes you and me. And that includes any of our past ancestors who may have been in the faith. This book is relevant to all believers from all time to the end of the age. 
And that's why this book comes with a promise. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Right there, Revelation 1.3 is applicable to all believers for all time. For anyone who reads and who hears the words of this prophecy and you heed the things which are written in it, you will be blessed because the time is near. Our Lord's return, I know it's kind of a cop-out because we're 2,000 years removed, but that's a couple of days in God's time and we are in the last days. Our Lord's return is as, as close as it's ever been before. Now that I've shared some of my thoughts in my heart, let's look at what we've learned about the four horsemen. Because when we get to Revelation chapter 6, we're now introduced to these four horsemen riding on four different colored horses. We're going to learn about them and who they are, and then we're going to get reacquainted with the breaking of the first seal. And where we're going to end with this is, where does that first seal fall in its historical context? and see where it takes us. So leading up to chapter six, remember we have this whole majestic scene in heaven. Our Lord Jesus alone was found worthy to take the book, the scroll, from the Father who sits on the throne. He was worthy to not only take it from the Father's hand, but also to break its seals. And the first four seals of Revelation chapter 6 are tied to a rider on a white horse, seal number one, a rider on a red horse, seal number two, a rider on a black horse, seal number three, and a rider on a pale green or ashen horse, and that's seal number four. So in this, this sealed scroll or book with seven seals, the first four seals is associated with four riders on colored horses. Contrary to popular opinion, if you were to open up your theology books, your resources, the gist of it is when the question's asked, well, who are these four riders on these four colored horses? Pretty much all of them will make it figurative or symbolic. For example, the white horse, they'll say, oh, that means world peace or false peace series of false messiahs, antichrist himself, world forces, political conquest, purity of the church. Then when it comes to the red horse, because it's red, color of blood, it's a holocaust of war, civil war, removal of peace. When you get to the black horse, famine, global hunger, sadness, want, woe, darkness, and this one was interesting, inflation. Ashen horse, or the pale green horse, was figurative or symbolic. These books say, meaning death, pestilence, eternal misery. But what we did was, we're like, well, we look to Scripture. These commentaries and books are like, yeah, I hear your opinion and your subjectivity. But what does the Scripture say? Who these writers on these colored horses are? And what I did was, I took some of the different color combinations, whether it's white, red, or black, green, ashen. And I came across this passage in Zechariah where there was different colored horses. So, okay, there's different colored horses here. And then in Zechariah, we get different colored horses. But here was the context of Zechariah. 
As soon as you open up the book of Zechariah and you read chapter 1, God spoke to Zechariah the prophet, and he told them and declared to them that he is very angry with your fathers, their fathers, Israel. That's how Zechariah 1 opens up. He talks to Zechariah, and he tells them, I'm very angry with your fathers. And then God commanded Zechariah, he said, exhort them to come back to God that he may return to them. He said, don't be like your fathers, the, who, uh, whom the former prophets proclaimed. God exhorted Israel through Zechariah that they repent of their evil ways and deeds. He says, return to me that I may return to you. And our Lord, through Zechariah, was telling them, remember the covenant that we entered into. You know the calamities that has been brought upon you and your fathers is because you haven't held your end of our covenant. You haven't been keeping my laws and being careful to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember them corporately before Moses they said they will do everything that is written of them and Moses even sprinkled them with blood to pretty much seal the deal that they're entering in covenant with their God. But sadly, even at the time of Zechariah, they refused to listen. So this is the context. Three months later, God spoke to Zechariah again in a night vision. And Zechariah, he sees a man riding on a red horse. Apparently he got off the horse and then he started to stand among the myrtle trees. And in this passage, there was other red horses. There was reddish brown and white horses behind this man that Zechariah saw. And there was an angel nearby, and Zechariah asked them, what are these? So there he sees a man riding this red horse. He sees other different colored horses behind him. And Zechariah asked, what are these? The angel responded, they are the ones the Lord has sent out to patrol the earth. Here's the translation. The different colored horses in Zechariah 1, the reddish, the reddish brown and white horses, are ridden by angels sent out to patrol the earth. Now to the answer to our question, who are the four horsemen that we're about to study? Zechariah 1 gave us the answer. The riders on colored horses in Zechariah 1 are angels, which means that the riders on the colored horses in Revelation 6 are angels. And there is a parallel between Zechariah 1 and Revelation 6. In Zechariah 1, God was angry with Israel. They refused to listen and take heed to the warning of the prophet. Three months later, God sent angels on these colored horses to patrol the earth and to bring a report back to God. What I'm saying is in Revelation 6, I'm going to suggest to you and to us that God was angry with Israel. That even after the killing of their Lord, and from even the time that he broke these seals in prophecy and taking us all the way to the end, that God remains angry with them. And that he's sending these four riders on these four, uh, on these four colored horses to patrol the earth. But not only are they patrolling the earth, 
they were given a specific task. Remember what we've learned, this principle. When God judges and punishes, pays retribution, it's to the Jew first. If we get this principle, it's going to help us understand the sequence of these judgments because it does begin with Israel, but then it will go global and apply to all who dwell on the earth. So here's the translation. The four horsemen are four angels summoned and sent to patrol the earth, report back, and carry out their assigned tasks. You know what's a surprise? Out of maybe the dozens of commentaries that I've read, not one that I came across said that these four riders on these four horses are angels sent to patrol the earth and carry out their assigned tasks. They went straight to, it's figurative or symbolic to mean antichrist, to mean this, to mean that. And many commentaries will even say, oh, when we get to the seven seals, now we're getting to the last seven years of history. Where did you get that? Oh, oh because I was taught and I held this eschatological view of this tribulation period being seven years where all hell breaks loose on earth. And I hold to that view, so I'm going to read these seven seals and the breaking of these first four. It has to apply to somehow back then in the latter part of history. Instead of putting their subjectivity aside, they've decided to over-spiritualize the text and they controlled that narrative to support their eschatology and their study Bibles. But now that we know who the four horsemen are biblically, look, I just showed you through Scripture. We had different colored horses in Zechariah 1, a man riding on one of them and followed by other horses, and this is where you make the deduction, they're also ridden by other men, like figures who are angels. These men-like figures also here riding on colored horses in Revelation are angels. And the color of the horse is indicative of what their task is. So now that we know who they are, so they're angels. We got that? We're like, okay. Meaning, they're doing stuff in the heavenlies. And they are given a task to bring about something in the physical. Once we get this, then hopefully this will not be as intimidating as it was maybe two years ago. So for the rest of our time today, are you ready to reveal seal one now? And what we're going to do is we're going to read the first four seals just to get reacquainted and refamiliar with the passage, and then we're going to review the first two verses and the first seal. So I'll be reading Revelation 6, verses 1 through 8, and I'll be reading from the NES. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with the voice of thunder, Come. I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands, his hand. 
And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come. I looked and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name death and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So that's our passage of these four riders on these four colored horses. As a reminder of the context, remember there was four living creatures who are before the throne. And then we have the 24 elders around the throne. And I called them collectively heavens, choir director, and choir. Well, these four living creatures, there's four of them. Each one of them made a summon and said, come. So the first living creature said, come. The first writer came. The second living creature said, come. The second writer came. The third living creature said, come. The third writer came. And then the fourth living creature said, come. And then this fourth writer came. So each of the four living creatures made a summon. And each of the respective riders on these colored horses came and a rider sat on it. So are you ready to, we haven't, it felt like we haven't done this in a while, but now we get to exposit the text again. This is, this is for me, this is where it starts to calm down because now we're, we're just sticking with the text and going verse by verse. But let's look at verse one again, shall we? John said, then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with the voice of thunder, come. And I'm paying particular attention to these markers where verse one begins, then I saw. It can also be rendered, also I saw. And as we're reading John's vision, this is how we know it's progressive. He's going from one vision to the next vision to the next, which is why I'm being careful not to put one vision before the other, because he says, and then I saw, which is after that vision he just saw. So it keeps things moving in progression, sequentially forward. And he, what he saw was the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, break one or the first of the seven seals. Pretty straightforward. Whatever, however that book looked like, maybe it might look like something like this. He's describing in vision. He sees the Lamb take the book. And remember, when he took the book, all of heaven bowed before the Lamb. And John, after he saw that great scene, after he saw him take the book, he now breaks this first seal. And when he breaks it, one of the four living creatures summoned the rider on the white horse. And then when we get to verse 2, he says, I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So John sees a rider on a white horse. Who is this rider? An angel. This angel had a bow. We're going to review what we've learned about bow. And not only was he given a bow, but a crown was given to him. 
And then John describes the task, go out conquering and to conquer. So this angel had a bow, Greek, toxon. And toxon was only used one time in the entire New Testament here. When we looked at bow holistically, since the New Testament didn't give us much other passages to compare it with, I went and looked at the Old Testament equivalent word of toxon, where we get the Hebrew word kesheth. And I looked at kesheth in the entire Old Testament to get an idea of what this bow means. And it turns out that bow, it could have several meanings depending on context. And here was the summary of them. It could refer, if you're going hunting, you know, you have a bow and arrow, you're hunting. It could refer to just bowmen or archers, whether it's in a war or just someone shooting an arrow with a bow. It could be figurative and speak of might. It could mean bow could describe the bow of a rainbow. And bow could also signify war or weapon of war. And last but not least, it could mean an impending attack. So there is a passage, I want to say it's in Psalms, where the Lord is bending a bow to his enemies. And you don't want to be on the receiving end of that. So bow, kesheth, it could mean these several things depending on context. In our immediate context, since toxon, crown, and conquering and to conquer is the immediate context, then this bow, this angel, with this bow, it's to be understood as a bow of war. This rider on a white horse, this angel, was given a bow to wage war. That was his task. Come. Bow was given to him. Also a crown. Go out conquering and to conquer. Go and wage war. As far as this crown, crown as Stephanus, and we've covered this way back in our promised crown study, but like Kesheth, crown or Stephanus, that it can also have several meanings depending on context. And I've looked at the entire New Testament's usage of Stephanus. It's used 18 times. And Stephanus, it, can actually, it actually can mean a, a crown worn on the head. And that could be a crown, let's say, worn by kings for royalty. The crown of thorns that was shaped as a crown and placed on our Lord's head, or those who competed in what was then their Olympics, a crown of a wreath, so a wreath shaped as a crown and placed on the head. But with Stephanus, it can also be figurative. It could mean like, your, like my joy and crown as the Apostle Paul told the Philippians and the Thessalonian believers. He goes, you are my joy and my crown. That's figurative. Or there's this crown of righteousness or a crown of life or a crown of glory. But based on our immediate context, I'm inclined to say that this angel on a white horse, was, he was given and holding a physical bow. That's what John saw. 
He saw a rider on a white horse with a bow. This angel has a bow. And he has a crown. Albeit, so I want to say it's physical, albeit a heavenly bow or a heavenly crown. And I don't want to lose us. Because John is looking into the heavenlies and I'm saying this rider on the white horse has a physical bow and a physical crown, but in the heavenly side of things. And I want to give us a couple of examples of something that's in the heavenlies that's not just spiritual, it's physical too. However, that might play out in the heavenlies. So for example, in the letter to Smyrna, our Lord said, to those who are faithful in death, you'll be given a crown of life. I don't believe he's just saying, you're just going to have eternal life. You will, you have it. But because you are faithful in death, that they will be crowned with a crown of life. Or when we get to the fifth seal after these four, there were those who were slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. They were given a white robe and asked to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants were killed just as they were. So these souls that were martyred under, and they were under, John saw them under the altar, they were given white robes. They were given white spiritual robes, but it's physical on that side of things. So there are things in the heavenlies that we can't see, but I'm telling you, these souls in the altar, they were given white robes. It's not just fancy words. There's, they were given a covering for their souls, and it was white. There is an interpretive challenge here. John says, and there was a crown given him. I assumed he's wearing it, but was he given it to him and he wore it, or was it given to him and he will crown it with someone else? It could be either, it could be both. I want us to remember this principle that we learned from the ram and goat study. Whatever happens in the heavenlies is going to manifest itself in the physical. One example, when Hamas decided to bomb Israel in our recent history, something happened in the heavenlies. And that was the result. So this writer was given a bow and a crown and whatever those point to, it's going to play itself out in the real world. Here's what we know. We know that his task is to wage war. And of course, he was given a bow and a crown. So when he's waging war, other nations and other countries are going to wage war. And when he was given a crown, could that manifest itself with a figure being crowned here on earth and then going out to conquer and to conquer? Conquering and to conquer? Yeah. I'm not going to rule that out. Meaning, from the time of this vision, 95, 96 AD, until now, if there was any figure who was crowned with something and then went out conquering and to conquer, that that could very well be the manifestation of the task of this rider on the white horse. Now let's look at conquering and to conquer. And its root word, I mean, the Greek verb is nikao, and its root word is Nike. 
Nike means exactly how it's translated, to conquer, be victorious, prevail, overcome, subdue. So if this angel in the white horse was given a bow and a crown, and he is, his task is to go out conquering and to conquer, how is it going to manifest here? I kind of answered it already. Presumably through waging war, rumors of wars, and where we have nation rising up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. As far as when the first seal began, I do want to make a, a conjecture here. Prior to our how to view prophecy study last week and the studies leading up to it, I was maintaining that the first seal has not been broken yet. First of all, I stand corrected. The first seal has been broken, right? He saw the lamb break, broke the first seal. It's broken. But as far as how it played out in history and, or in, in time, I have initially maintained that it was not broken yet because, of the, because there were some synergies, because there was four great beasts that Daniel saw in his vision, and then there's four living creatures conjuring up these four riders on these colored horses. So I was like, man, there are some strong synergies here. So I'm thinking, and I was maintaining that this rider on the white horse going out conquering and to conquer is going to align with Daniel's prophecy. And we know that Daniel's prophecy, as far as the four great beasts, that is reserved for the final kings at the end of time. Because the first of the four kings, remember, a human mind was given to him. So we, we know that the four great beasts are later in history, but as far as the first seal and these four riders, I'm reconsidering that. Meaning, because we've reharmonized the great Olivet Discourse and we've reinforced how to view prophecies, I have reconsidered. Meaning, if you ask me now, how about like this rider on the white horse, bow, crowned, conquering and to conquer, has been in motion from that first century forward. Because we're learning to keep and view prophecies in its historical context. Remember, Revelation is to be viewed from 95, 6, 95, 96 AD all the way to the end of the age. And do you remember the video I shared when we first went through this study? And there was that news clip about the bombings in Egypt or Cairo, I believe it was. And it appeared or seemed to have captured an angelic figure riding a green horse and then kind of a right what was being over the scene and then kind of going up back to heaven. I am not going to bet all my marbles on that, but <laughs> that seemed pretty bizarre. That I think that gave us a glimpse. Remember I said what's happening in the heavenlies is manifesting in the physical. So whatever that rider on that colored horse was doing in Cairo, his task was to bomb and have riots among the people, stir them up. And that does support the view that these first four seals, the green horse is the fourth seal. That was a green horse, pale green actually. And then he was leaving, crazy. So with that, 
Are we ready to take what we've learned and incorporate the first seal into our prior revelation and Olivet Discourse timeline? So remember this. This was from our How to View Prophecy study last week, and this is the simplest timeline that I can come up with. If we were to view Revelation, the prophecy from 95-96 AD to the end. Oh, and I want to make a a little comment here. Do you know what separates the book of Revelation from any other book in Scripture? There is something unique in this book that wasn't revealed in any of the other books. It's on this timeline. The new heaven and the new earth. Revelation takes us even beyond the millennial kingdom into the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. New Jerusalem hasn't been revealed anywhere else but this book. Pretty neat. And I wouldn't have seen that and like reflected on that had we not put it in this way. If you were to view 95, 96, the seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, thousand-year reign of Christ to the new heavens and a new earth, this book takes us into 3,000-something A.D. So that would be about three days in God's clock. Where would we place here the first rider, the first horse, white horse, seven seals? So here are some deductions as far as where this first seal of prophecy, where does it fall in history's timeline? Well, it's going to somewhere there, whatever that represents. But it's after 95-96 AD. And this writer and the breaking of the first seal was after the, the letters to the seven churches. Remember, John was saying, was taken up to heaven and saying, come up here. Let me show you what must take place after these things, after what was written to the seven churches. So this rider on the white horse, as far as when he appeared or is doing his work or task, it was sometime after 95, 96 AD, and it's sometime after the seven letters to the seven churches, but it's before seals two through seven, before the seven trumpets, before the seven bowls before the millennial kingdom, and of course, before the new heavens and the new earth. This one's first. And when our Lord was found worthy, the wheels were in motion for this rider. Now let's factor in where this rider falls in our great Olivet Discourse time clock. Okay? So we should, we should be familiar with this by now and the different epics. Now, looking at the Great Olivet Discourse and these epics that we've come up with after we've reharmonized all three gospel accounts, where would this first rider on the first horse, given the bow, a crown, conquering and to conquer, where would that fall in these different epics? Remember, I'll give us a clue. The first Israeli war after our Lord's death and resurrection was in 66, 67 A.D. 
the Jewish-Roman War was 66 to about 72, 73 AD. The first writer has to come after 95, 96 AD. So that was already destroyed. But Israeli could be implicated, so I'm not taking that away. When you're going out conquering and to conquer, they could certainly be the object of that. But as far as here in this epic, what's the next best fit? As far as when our, our Lord gave this great Olivet Discourse and these different epics, that's going to span from, from his point of view from 30 AD to the end. As far as this angel riding on a white horse, bow, crown, conquering and to conquer, that would place him in this epic of time of the Gentile Wars in our, all of it, our Lord's Great Olivet Discourse, you know, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He was speaking about, at least partly, what this rider on the white horse is tasked to do. So I do want to give, now I'm ready to give us some closing thoughts. We've gone through all this, and in keeping Revelation in its historical context, I'm inclined to say that the first seal is already in motion sometime after 95, 96 AD. I'm leaving it where it is. And with this view in mind, I'm also inclined to say that this first rider on the white horse, remember at the time this vision was given, Rome was in power. That I want to suggest to us how and why did Rome fall and you know, divided and ultimately fall? This rider on the white horse had a lot to do with it because his task was to go out conquering and to conquer and that would even include the great Roman Empire. And that is to also say this great nation been around, what, two, three hundred years? Seems to be on its demise as far as what it stands for, but if this great country ever falls because of the activity, partly of this angel. If it's God's will for the United States to be conquered, the United States will be conquered. So this, I'm, what I'm saying is, this angel riding on this white horse has been busy from the fall of the Roman Empire forward. And ChatGPT is my new buddy, so cool. I asked ChatGPT, I said, can you give me a list of wars from the time of the fall of Rome? It's not going to give me all of it, but just to give you an idea. It gave me 20, right? There was the Byzantine Arab Wars in the 7th through 11th centuries, the Viking raids and conquests, the 8th through 11th centuries. We had the Norman conquest of England, 1066, the Crusades, the 11th through 13th centuries, the Mongol conquests, the 13th through 14th centuries, the Hundred Years' War from 13th, 14th century, Italian Wars, 14th, 15th century, 30 Years' Wars, English Civil Wars, the Nine-Year Wars, the War of Spanish Succession, the War of Austrian Succession, there was a Seven Years' War, the American Revolutionary War, Napoleonic Wars, the American Civil War, World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War. Of course, now we have the Ukraine War, Hamas-Israel War. There's been a lot of wars. Now, if we take our learning, and if this angel on a white horse was given a crown, 
or is given a bow and a crown, and his task is to conquer, to go out conquering and to conquer, to wage war, I want to suggest to us, this is an example that this rider on the white horse is behind all this. I'm telling you, this is telling. And what this further supports is the book of Revelation is applicable to all of the different epochs of time. So for example, if you're a Christian and you were alive during the Byzantine and Arab wars in that 7th through 11th centuries, and you read the book of Revelation, and you read that, well, our Lord broke one of the, fir- the first of the seven seals, and this rider on the white horse was summoned and tasked to go out conquering and to conquer. We can find peace. This is supposed to happen. Whether you lived in any of these times as a believer, the book of Revelation is relevant. This isn't just relevant for the believers who are here in the last seven years of history. So all of this conquering and to conquer has been going on for the millennia. And I'm also inclined to believe that this writer's primary purpose is to rise, divide, conquer nations that began with the fall of the Roman Empire. And here's why the rider on the white horse is doing this. Remember when I mentioned this before, any world conflict, any world wars, you know, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. What do I say? It's a domino. So if you look at it from a panoramic point of view, and let's say there's going to be a hundred wars, let's just say figuratively speaking, and there, you have a hundred dominoes standing up, and this rider on the white horse is the one who knocks down the domino so that all 100 dominoes fall. And when everything falls into place, then the vision of the great statue is going to come to fruition that Daniel saw. The four great beasts that came out of the great sea, these four kings, these four meleks are going to arise on the scene. This ram and goat where is going to come the false Christ or the false Messiah who will be the forerunner before the anti-God. You know, this whole 70 weeks, once we get to the culmination of the 70 weeks and the final period of the indignation, all those dominoes and all of human history is going to fall. And what our Lord said in all of it, discourse, the rest of the New Testament, all those dominoes are going to fall. And it's going to culminate in this final world superpower that Daniel described as this iron teeth king. It's going to arrive on the scene. There's going to be this fourth beast kingdom comprised of ten kings. And one thing that's interesting about Daniel's prophecy, he gives us a detail, uh, one specific detail about this final world power. It's going to be a divided kingdom, the prophecy says. Divided means the land is parceled out, kind of like the way it is now. So what Daniel's prophecy is giving us a lens to this, this final world power It's going to be by countries that are geographically dispersed and divided out. But this rider on the white horse conquering and to conquer from the fall of Rome forward is pushing the dominoes forward. It's pushing the dominoes. I think if you can get that analogy, then we know that this angel is doing their task so that all that the word and the scripture has spoken 
will come to pass. And then when all those dominoes fall, beginning with this rider on the white horse, when we get to the end of the scene and this fourth, big, this fourth beast kingdom comprised of ten kings, they're going to be here when our Lord comes and will destroy them by the sword of his mouth and by his glorious appearing. So I'm pleased to say that that officially concludes our over two-year review of this journey. And I do feel that with all of these learnings in place, I feel that we're ready to navigate forward and even pick up the pace. Meaning we're going to officially pick up where we last left off, and then we're going to pick up from the seals two through four, and we're going to look at the other three horsemen. And I look forward to seeing what's in store for us and for the rest of this journey. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today to Truth Matters Church, and we hope that you are excited to continue this methodical and exhaustive expository study in Revelation. As Pastor Alex mentioned, next time we'll pick up our study in Revelation chapter 6, and we do hope that you'll join us. And don't forget that you can find all of our past studies posted on our website, truthmatterschurch.org, or simply look for us on Sermon Audio. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church. 